Hi everyone, welcome back to East Coast Haunts. I'm MK. And I am Sam. And today we are taking a little bit of a break from Salem. Yes. And we're bringing um, a very special episode. One we've been waiting to do for, I would say, over a month now. And one that was a little expensive because we actually visited the site. And we performed our very own paranormal investigation. But... Before we tell you all about that, and we're not going to hold anything back, we got to give you a little bit of like the history and known recorded hauntings of this site. Yes. Sam, do you want to tell them where we went? We went to Penhurst State School and Hospital, also more commonly known as Penhurst Asylum. But that name is a little misleading, and I think you're going to get into why. Yes, I'm going to get into why that is a completely incorrect name, but... This is located in, I would say, 45 minutes outside Pennsylvania. Or, outside. Oh my god, outside <laughs> outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, um, I think it's called Spring City, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And we went with both of our boyfriends. Yes. So my boyfriend, Zach, and your boyfriend, Ray. Yes, they were and very brave, good boys. Yes, they were. Uh, they got a little spooked, though, too. Oh, they were kind of acting like the tough, tough guy part, and I think... I, I know at least Zach got got a little freaked out. I think oh, yeah. Ray kind of kept his cool a little bit more, but... At least on the outside. Who, who knows, knows what they were thinking on the inside? Because it got a little creepy. It did get really creepy. But we want to tell you all about like the history beforehand. And also, I do want to do a little disclaimer and say that we really didn't do a whole ton of research... Beforehand. Beforehand. We kind of wanted to go in a little bit blind so that we wouldn't have... Like preconceived notions or, or, or like kind a of bias, a, yeah, yeah, confirmation bias, yeah, exactly. So we didn't do any research on like the existing hauntings or what people claim to have encountered there, right? But we did know a little bit about the history. Yes. I think going in, you knew more than I did. I mean, uh, but we took so the way that the paranormal investigation starts out is they take you on a historical tour of the yeah. grounds first. Yes. And a lot of the stuff that they talked about is really shocking. And I don't really want to take up any more time right. like alluding to this stuff. So why don't you get into the history? Yes, let's get into the history because the scariest part about this entire about Penhurst in general is the history. It is appalling. Oh gen yeah, genuinely horrifying. So Penhurst first opened its doors on November twenty third, nineteen oh eight. Wow, we're coming up on an anniversary yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah, so right around right around about now. Uh, I want to quickly clear up, Mary Kate, we were just talking about this before, but I want to clear up before we get any farther into the episode, because it's something that I didn't know until we started the historical tour. Me either. Penhurst itself was never an asylum. I know that everyone calls it Penhurst Asylum, that's what it's known as, but it was never an asylum. Um, in 2010, the company that purchased Penhurst began running their attraction called Penhurst Asylum on Penhurst's grounds. Mm-hmm. But it was not an asylum for the criminally insane or for those with mental illnesses. Penhurst was actually a place to live for individuals with intellectual, developmental, and or physical disabilities. And actually, let's just take a second right here to acknowledge and maybe give like a little bit of a trigger warning because there is a lot of like disrespect physical and mental abuse yes. towards um towards people with disabilities pretty much anyone who was different or yeah. or who did not fit into society at the time was sent here yeah and it's it's 
it's this is the scariest episode that we've done because how horrifying is this place? It's atrocious because some of the other things, it's like they happened. I mean, this was open in the 70s. And th- these horrible things were happening in the 70s. Like, we're not really that far removed from No, it. we're not. That's less than 50 years ago. And it was happening not too far from where we live. I, it's so hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. So just keep in mind, yeah, there will be some rough topics today. If you want to skip, we understand because yeah. it's very upsetting. So when Penhurst first opened, it was actually called the Eastern Pennsylvania Institution for Feeble-Minded and Epileptic. And back in the day, the phrase feeble-minded, which we don't use nowadays, it's yeah, no. demeaning and insulting, it referred to anyone with an intellectual disability. That's casting a huge net. So in the early 1900s, the eugenics movement was becoming popularized. Scary. Eugenics is the incorrect, baseless, and very immoral theory where people believe that the human race could be quote-unquote perfected by isolating and eliminating those who were deemed as other whether it be because of their race, ethnicity, disability, their genetics, anything, you name it. If, if they were not seen as desirable by a certain group of people, then they were like, okay, we need to isolate these people and make sure that they're not reproducing so that they don't uh, give their genetics on to other people. So you might have heard of eugenics before because this was the movement that Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party believed in. I was so, going to say, sounded a little bit familiar. Yeah. But- so that was what the Nazi party believed in, and this was uh, a belief in the early 1900s that people were starting to uh, subscribe to, unfortunately. Oh, God. Eugenicists believed that by putting people with disabilities out of sight and completely separating them from the rest of society, they wouldn't be able to have offspring with disabilities, and then eventually there would be no one left with these quote-unquote undesirable traits. That makes no sense. Like, even... I know that they didn't have like the science that we do nowadays, but I'm pretty sure that's not how genetics work. It's not. And at all. Obviously now we know how wrong and twisted their thinking was, but unfortunately this was a belief that some people did have. And this is what when people were running Penhurst and other places like it, this was the driving factor behind that. The driving force behind that. I can't believe that that's like something that people were like, yeah, that sounds good. I know. Like, anything that's, like, different was squashed. I know. That's cr- like, that is... Oh. And a lot of people did truly believe that this was the best place for someone who was intellectually or physically disabled. Like, they thought they were doing the right thing, which yeah. is super disturbing. And that's why a lot of parents sent their children to Penn Exactly. First. Exactly. Because it was, like, this state-of-the-art was... treatment. They thought, meanwhile... Um, during our tour, remember, they said that some parents were getting charged with child neglect if they didn't send their child to Penhurst. Oh. Because they said, oh, well, your child has a disability and they'll be getting better care if they're at Penhurst. Yeah, you're unfit to care for them yeah. right now. Which is, how dare you? I right? know. Ugh. So Penhurst opened in 1908, like I said, and it was originally meant to hold up to 500 residents. No more than that. But the institution surpassed that number real fast. And Shocking. by the end of the 1950s, there were about 3,500 residents. And yes. were there any expansions to like the physical property? No. Not at all. So, it. overcrowding? Overcrowding to the max. Seven times the amount that they were originally supposed to have. And not too many staff. I mean, I th- didn't they say in our tour it was like for every one staff member or every one nurse, there were 50 or 70 yeah. patients? Something like that. I think there was like 
one staff member assigned to like every floor which, which is if you can yeah. imagine that's how can you possibly be giving the quality of care you can that you need to be giving to your patients yeah you can't so about 10,600 people lived at Penhurst in it's almost 80 years of operation so that's how many people passed through okay but a lot of them never left so I'm passed through I guess is not the right not. way to say it about half of the people who lived at Penhurst at some point died in Penhurst. Wow. Just to give you a brief idea of how miserable this place was, about half of them died. And was that because of like natural causes or were some of them like old age? Um, I think that the vast majority were not because of that. I mean, I think some like were. mistreatment? Mistreatment. I think disease was rampant because it was, they did not clean. Yeah. The, it was so understaffed. So getting into the horrors of Penhurst, they wouldn't be fully exposed to the public until 1968 when a documentary came wow. out, which we'll yeah. talk about. But even before the general public didn't know how horrible it was inside Penhurst, there was a nightmare going on inside. Yeah. So, to say the least. To say really. the absolute least. I'm going to describe a few of the ways that Penhurst failed its residents. There are so many ways, but some of the ways that I guess uh, are recorded um, from... And like stick out more than others. Yes, exactly. So this is sort of interesting. We learned this on our tour. All residents were referred to as children, no matter how old they were. So demeaning. It shows you an idea of how uh, the staff viewed the people who were living in Penhurst. And how little respect they showed them. Exactly. So... I thought that was just something that I, a, a good way to set up the rest of these uh, these ways that they were failing their residents. Mm-hmm. No psychologists were ever on duty at Penhurst at night or over the weekend. Wow. So if a resident had an emotional crisis, they would go without treatment until the next morning or until the end of the weekend. I don't know if you're going to cover this too, but I did hear that they saw the psycholo- or psychologist or psychiatrist... Yeah. A total, like, per resident, they got, like, one-on-one time with them for, like, three minutes a year. That sounds about right. It was... They had more time in teeth-brushing seminars. Oh, my God. And I'm sure you're going to bring this up, but many of the residents at Penhurst didn't have teeth because they were forcibly removed. Yes. And they're spending more time and energy and, I'm sure, funds... Oh, yeah. On... Teaching people who now only have gums how to brush their teeth and actually get getting them psychiatric help. It's like once people were actually brought to Penhurst, they were not trying to like foster a good environment or help them to learn and to function um, independently or at no. least slightly independently. They were just, they were there as prisoners. Well, they were there to keep them separate from the rest of society. Yeah. And to ensure that they did not reproduce. And, but they did not want to give them any sort of quality of life no, whatsoever. No, not at all. So, restraints were also used as control measures since Penhurst was severely understaffed. Individuals would be brought into a room by themselves and would be bound by the hands or the ankles to a bed or a chair. That's sickening. And others would be restrained with chemicals like tranquilizing drugs. Oh, oh my god. So yeah, just because, I mean, some of them were physically restrained, some of them were restrained with chemicals, um, or both, uh... I have a specific example that's very disturbing. During staffing shortages in June 1976, which is not that long ago. 76? Yes. And also, yes, these are, I'm saying these are during staffing shortages, but this is not 
that's not an excuse for them to do any of no, this. No, but they no. did note it in the court transcript, so that's why I said it. Okay. This female resident was in a physical restraint in the month of June for 651 hours and five minutes. Oh my god, how many days is that? Pretty almost the entire month, I think. Hold on, let me do this math. Okay. Okay, 27 days? More or less, she lived She lived in these restraints. Um, and then again, in August, like two months later, she was in it for 720 hours. I'm sure that's the entire month. Yeah. Yeah. So she literally... 30 days, exactly. Yeah, she lived, she literally lived in these restraints. And, you know, it sounds to me like she lived basically her entire life in these restraints and... They didn't even think to enroll her in occupational therapy. Yeah. Because the reason they had her in restraints was that I think they said she was um, a danger to herself and others. But they didn't even think to put her in any type of therapy until uh, the next year. Then they put her in occupational therapy and pretty much right away she started showing improvement. Wow. I'm surprised. If they had given her this treatment earlier, this part is horrible. If they had given her this treatment earlier, instead of locking her up and neglecting her and basically being like, okay, out of sight, out of mind, she most likely would have led, obviously, a much happier life. And when she was restrained, somehow, um, she ended up blinding herself. Um, oh my God. And she, if she had just started that occupational therapy earlier, like, who knows? She that Maybe that wouldn't have happened. It probably wouldn't have. So, it's really, that's just one example putting kind of like a, an individual because you know you can say all these things but when you hear like an individual story like that it's sobering yeah absolutely so regarding the actual buildings themselves uh there was human waste on the floor pretty much at all times Gross. so unsurprisingly there were infectious diseases that would run rampant among residents i'm sure mm. this caused a lot of the deaths yeah i'm sure and in 1977 alone there were 833 minor injuries and 25 major injuries reported. This is in one year, and this is just the ones that were recorded. I'm sure there were plenty Holy that weren't cow. recorded. So, oh my god. I wonder what classified as like a major injury. I was wondering the same thing. Probably something that like required a trip to the hospital yeah. or the infirmary. Yeah. Because, I mean, 25, I'm like, I feel like there were probably more, honestly. Oh, yeah. But that just goes to show, I mean, it's like, it's almost, it's like, what are you even trying? That's probably 25 major injuries that weren't inflicted by Penhurst staff. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, besides residents hurting each other, which sometimes did happen, some staff members also abused residents, which you were just Mm -hmm. saying. And this is a quick trigger warning for sexual assault and abuse. Skip maybe 15 seconds and then we'll be done. Um, in 1976, again, all these are happening in this, I mean, all these are being reported in the 70s, but I'm sure it happened plenty of times before this. Uh, a resident was raped by a staff member. Oh my God. Another person was thrown across the room by a staff member and another was beaten with a belt by a staff member. And again, these are just the reported incidents. That is so absolutely sickening. I, I, I actually don't have any other words for that. It's, it's, it's horrible. Oh my God. So, no residents had any privacy whatsoever, and many of the people who lived at Penhurst actually reverted in skills. Instead of becoming better at communicating or becoming more self-sufficient, they uh, started to lose their ability to communicate after living there for a while. Well, I'm sure that has something to do with the fact that they are restrained. Yes. And having chemicals injected into them. And having to be isolated or be in a room with, like, Ten or dozens of other people, and deal with the trauma of of either getting beaten themselves or watching 
what you would imagine have become their friends yeah getting beaten there was a video i saw i don't remember if it was in the documentary that we're going to talk about in a second Mm -hmm. but there was a young boy i think he was like a preteen and they deemed him as naughty they were like oh you know he steps out of line like he's loud and he they kept um isolating him like as punishment and he started to lose the ability to like speak Oh my god. Uh, it was re- and it was really, really sad. Um, and then here's an actual story from the court case Halderman versus Penhurst, which is one of the court cases that was brought in the 70s. Um, that got it shut down? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and this is a quote. Many of the residents have suffered physical deterioration and intellectual and behavioral regression during their residency at Penhurst. Terry Lee Halderman, the original plaintiff in this action was admitted to Penhurst in 1966 when she was 12 years of age. During her 11 years at Penhurst, as a result of attacks and accidents, she has lost several teeth and suffered a fractured jaw, fractured fingers, a fractured toe, and numerous lacerations, cuts, scratches, and bites. Prior to her admission to Penhurst, Terry Lee could say, Dada, Mama, Noi Noi, which is like her way of saying no, and Baba, which was her way of saying goodbye, and Nana, which was her way of saying grandmother, and she no longer speaks. So she was able to communicate and say these words before she went to Penhurst, and then she goes to Penhurst at age 12, and she loses the ability to talk. So I don't even want to know like the horrors that she faced that she was not able to communicate anymore. That makes me want to cry. Like, actually, that makes me physically sick. Like, from age... 12 to 23 because that's 11 years of like very important time in your life where your brain is still developing and i mean obviously some sort of like mental scarring happened so because of the trauma and physical scarring oh yeah so forget about that we're not even going to get into the abhorring conditions of the bathrooms and the sleeping areas and the buildings in general just because there's I mean, you can anything, you could go on forever. Yeah, the worst you could imagine, it's, it's worse than that. Uh, these were conditions that no living creature, whether human or animal, should ever be living in. And the fact that they were able to get away with this for so long and have this many people, you know, coming through Penhurst is, like, absolutely sick. I mean, there's a very famous quote from one mother, I believe, who went to Penhurst yeah. to go visit her daughter and ended up actually pulling her out of Penhurst. Wow. Which was she was one of the very yeah. few parents to do that. And when asked like why, she was like, the conditions there, I wouldn't let my dog live there. Yeah. So I'm not gonna let my daughter live yeah. there. Which is like props to her. That goes to show. Yeah. But she was one of like very a very few. few parents that did that. Yeah. Or who were even allowed to do it, I guess. Yeah, because most parents, they were saying on the tour, some of them would just kind of ship them off to Penhurst and be like out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Because it was kind of seen as like a black a mark, mark on, on your family. family. Yeah. Right. So there were some workers, I know we're, I'm describing this and it's like absolutely horrible, but there were some workers who actually were there to help the residents right. who did have good hearts. And some would come in on the weekends and help those who couldn't get dressed or go to the bathroom by themselves because, yes, staff had to stop coming in on weekends because Penhurst didn't have enough funds to pay them. You're kidding me. So people would come in not getting paid and they would um, help residents with things and then they would uh, bring them home for the holidays. That's nice. Yeah, so there were some people who were like literally angels and 
did do this for the right reasons. Good. So, in 1968, uh, this is when the the bomb drops and people yeah. find out about Tenhurst. So WACU, which was Channel 10, and a reporter from that channel named Bill Baldini, he was a young reporter. This mm-hmm. was like his first, this was like his big break. His breakout. Like, and what a way to break out. Yeah. He aired a five-part documentary called Suffer the Little Children, which exposed the conditions at Pennhurst to the public for the first time. And people were horrified. Along with showing the horrifying conditions at Pennhurst, like all the things that we just were talking about, the documentary explained how the largest zoos in America spent more per day feeding their animals than Pennsylvania spent on the people at Pennhurst each day. So they were spending more money on animals? Oh my god. Yeah. So it cost more to feed a tiger at the zoo than it did to take care of a person at Pennhurst. They had zero, like, no funding. Wow. It's disturbing. You would think that maybe as a city, you would, like, take a minute to reconsider and maybe reallocate your funding. I know. And remember, this is 68. I mean, this place did not close for a little while longer. So, wow. Yeah. Uh, There were three huge lawsuits against Pennhurst in the 1970s. And in 1977, a federal district judge ordered that Pennhurst would make arrangements for all its residents to be moved elsewhere. They decided enough was enough. In 1982, the Department of Justice indicted nine present and former aides for abusing patients. Good. And they should. I'm sure there were many more punishment. Yeah. I'm sure there were many more that slipped through the cracks, but I'm sure at least some people are getting their right to justice. Yeah. And during this time in 1982, when these people were indicted, Penhurst had 640 patients because remember people are slowly getting placed elsewhere, mm-hmm. and. On average, these 640 patients had been there for more than 35 years. So they had like Holy pretty cow. much spent their entire lives there, which is so horrible. And most of them probably don't know anything other than Penhurst. No. Because they would send infants there, I think as young as like, what did they say? They said three, three months, months old. old. They said they would send three months old. Wow. There. So. Wow. Uh, then in 1982, uh, the same year that these aides were indicted, the Pennhurst Longitudinal Study is released. And this study was ordered as part of a, the lawsuit to close Pennhurst. And the researchers followed 1,154 people who lived at Pennhurst and found that after being released, not one of them had become homeless or incarcerated. It's almost as if they could have functioned perfectly well and better in society had like without Pennhurst. I mean, well, that just reminds me of the story that one of the tour guides was telling us that two prisoners were able to actually, well, I call them prisoners. They, I guess they they were like, they were more so patients or prisoners than patients, but two of them were able to escape and steal away into Philadelphia, get normal jobs and function on their own. Until someone ratted them out and they were brought back yeah. to Penhurst. But it's like so many of these people, it's like they were being held held back. All of them. I mean, obviously, yeah. They're stunting their development. Yeah. And it's, yeah, horrific. So also during this uh, study, most they found that most people lived at least six years longer 
after being released. So it's not like all of them died right away once they were out of Penhurst. Yeah. And almost every single one of them said that they liked living outside of Penhurst better than being in Penhurst. I'm shocked. Which I'm sure it would be everyone, but I'm sure that was all some people knew. It might have just been the routine of Penhurst and what they were used to. Right. Exactly. And sometimes it's hard to break from that routine. So... Also, interestingly, even though more people were now needed to help these individuals now that they're like out in the world, taxpayer cost actually went down 15% as opposed to when they were paying for Penhurst. So when people were released from, like, you would think that the cost would go up because now there's not this facility taking care, quote unquote, taking care of all these people. Yeah. But it costs less to have people going out into society. Not that like the money matters. But, but it's interesting how Penhurst, like, I don't know, it's like they were saying, like, oh, we're underfunded, underfunded, and I'm sure they were, but then it's like when people are actually being treated right and they're out in the world, it costs less. less. See, that does... does that make any sense? Yes, it okay. does. But I guess it does, it, it kind of surprises me because one of the main, like, selling points for Penhurst when it was in operation is that it was a totally like self-sustaining property right like they had their own they had their own zip code which is crazy they had their own railroad track they had their own farm where they would grow grow uh crops and stuff and and livestock they had their own nuclear power plant they had a full like corridor of tunnels underneath the entire property they had their own morgue yeah. and hospital on, like, that's, I so I guess actually it doesn't surprise me that, that there had to be some sort of taxpayer dollar going into this, but it's weird that they would market it as self-sustaining if they were relying it's on not. outside funds. Yeah. Right. So that was all figured out during that Penhurst longitudinal study, so lots of insights. Yeah. Lots of stuff coming to light. And then in 1987, finally, the final patient of Penhurst left. Wow. So that's well, the history of this horrible, scary place. Good riddance, Penhurst. I'm, yeah. You know what? That is that is something that I'm very grateful about growing up in this generation. I do think that society as a whole is becoming a little bit more tolerant. I think we've come a long way, but there's a long way to go. Oh, there absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So... But I, I don't want to, like, lose the somberness that you just right. laid out for us. So just keep in mind as we're doing this, the next part, which is, like, the hauntings of, of Penhurst, that the souls that are still trapped here were patients. Right. And, you know, they still deserve the respect. And I kind of do hope that, like, there actually weren't any souls there. I, I don't think that any of them deserve... I mean, no one deserves, but... They especially like don't think, deserve. I would like to think that maybe they're like the staff members. Yeah. That are asshole staff members. Yeah. I hope everyone else was able to find peace. I agree. But yes, going forward, just remember that these are patients. They deserve to be like spoken about with respect. respect. Right. Okay. So now getting into the hauntings. Um, most of my information came from a source called Ghosts of Mayflower. It's a book by Tamara Lawrence in which she discusses her experience and the experiences of guests that she guided while she was employed by Penhurst in 2011. Oh, okay. So this is when Penhurst started doing... This wasn't the haunted house, which, you know... We have our thoughts on. We definitely have our thoughts on. It's the paranormal investigation. Okay. So this is owned by a different company. Okay. 
Um, I would highly recommend this book. And again, note that we did read this book after the investigation so as to not influence our findings, but you will find that some of the alleged hauntings line up with what we did. And I was going to say, I didn't read it at all, so I'm about to hear for the first time if anything lined up. So, (laughs) again, like we always do, I'm going to work my way up to the big kahuna. Okay, good. And I'm going to start out with some of the more minor hauntings. All right. Uh, So, starting with Quaker Hall, it was a dormitory and communal building and inside is a violent ghost named Skippy, which I thought was kind of like Skippy. ironic because Skippy is not sounds a like name a, that strikes fear into my it heart. It sounds like the like that a kid that would wear a baseball hat with one yes, of those, uh, helicopter the like things. propeller yeah. things on top. Yes, it does. No, he was a janitor oh. that despised women patients. And I don't know if we mentioned this, but women and men were kept, like, at all times. I know, I can't believe I didn't mention that. That's, like, I feel like very important. It is important, so we'll mention it now. Men and women were kept completely separate. Totally different campuses. Yes. Yes. Because they didn't want any reproduction going on. Right. There's also, um, I don't know if we mentioned this either but there were rumors of sterilization being performed at Penhurst. that also there's no basis like there's no uh records to back that up yeah but i mean but we see the other things that were happening it's not it's not unlikely yeah so uh that anyway so janitor skippy despised the women patients and he would treat them horrifically so he's also known to attack woman visitors. <sighs> Shocking. And Quaker Hall is actually closed right now due to structural issues. Okay. But a lot of people online speculate that it's actually because the attacks were so violent that Penhurst didn't want to get sued. Oh, they were oh, so he was attacking he was like, women like like scratching them, pulling their like, hair, okay. and biting them. Okay, Skippy. Skippy's kind of an Ew. asshole. Uh, then, like I was mentioning before, there's the Lincoln Tunnels. Right. And they were used to transport patients. Now, if you ask a guide at Penhurst whether or not the patients that were being transported through these tunnels were dead or alive, because remember, they did have the morgue. Right. And contrary to popular belief, a lot of the people that died at Penhurst were not buried on site, although they did have a cemetery on site. They were shipped back to their hometowns okay. and buried at their respective cemeteries. But if you ask a guide at Penhurst whether or not these tunnels transported alive or dead patients, the answer that they have been trained to give is it they transported all types of patients there. Interesting. Are these the tunnels that we went in? Yes. Yeah, because I remember our tour guide specifically said, like, oh, like, patients didn't really even go in these unless mm-hmm. it was inclement weather. And I was like... Hmm. So it was. they were used to walk... From one building to another in the winter time, okay. which is important because these tunnels are designed to keep out any outside elements, so any wind, yeah. any like cold air, which is funny because one of the most like common weird occurrences that happens there is a strong breeze blowing through, and there's no way that a breeze should weird. be able to get in these tunnels. Very weird. And we were in there, and... We can also kind of attest to this next one. It's known for cold spots. It was freezing in there. And it, when we toured, it was like 70 degrees at night. It was like unseasonably warm. Which is weird because it was like mid-November. Yeah. I guess <laughs> that's what unseasonably means. But uh, 
so it's known for like being freezing cold they also don't know why yeah it would be like that because underground tunnels would have some sort of insulation yeah being underground right bro but um it's known also for disembodied running footsteps and foul smells okay which foul smells that could probably be from so many away yeah the other two are kind of still weird. weird yeah Another haunted spot on campus is the infirmary, which I'm sure comes as a shock to no one. Yeah, um, it's it's known for its shadow people, disembodied cries, and there's one specific room in there that used to be a dentist's office. And like we alluded to before, if a nurse or other worker complained that they felt threatened by a patient, and they would have to have no proof to back this up the patient would be admitted to the dentist and they would have all their teeth removed. Yeah, so look at that nurse funny and if she decides she wants she you to get your like teeth you, removed, yeah, you're done. Yeah. Um, and now the big kahuna is, of course, the Mayflower Building. Yes. And it was featured on our paranormal investigation. It's said to be the most haunted building on Penhurst property. And this is the building that got Penhurst the name of being like, I want to say the third most haunted spot in America. Okay. It's at least one of the most haunted spots in Pennsylvania, and it's renowned worldwide yeah. among the like paranormal investigation community. Yeah, it is. So a big it's deal. it is the real deal. It's known for its full blown apparitions, disembodied voices, children's laughters and cries, shadow people, cold spots, and unexplained touches. And you know what else I thought was really weird is that this was supposed to be like a home to these people they called the room cells wow. so it's not a prison but, but you're calling the room cells your home your safe space is a cell is a cell and if you look at pictures of like reconstructed rooms like they were cells yeah honestly jail cells are probably nicer than what these probably were. yeah so cell one is thought to be one of the most haunted spots in the building Many mediums, psychics, people that claim to be clairvoyant have gone in this room and all of them say the same thing. Something is angry and it lives in the far left corner. Oh. And everyone or most guests that walk in that room will claim to have felt someone watching them. All right. Did we go into this room? I, I think we did. Okay. I, it was one of the rooms on the second floor of Mayflower. Okay. So yes, we definitely did. I'm not sure which one okay. it was. Uh, the first like recognizable ghost is a little boy, and his name is Howie. Aww. He's said to haunt the second floor. Everyone's unsure of his background, but I personally would recommend the podcast Haunted Places. They tell you about the different spirits, apparitions, And they kind of spin, like, a little bit of a dramatized tale. And they give, like, these spirits backgrounds and, like, background stories. And it's it's neat to listen to because, you know, it could have been like that. Um, Howie has toys that tend to move on their own. Mm. Most famously, there's a red rubber ball, which we did see. Yeah. And a Fisher-Price airplane. There were actually a couple of red rubber balls throughout. Yeah, but the the one main one was on yeah. the second floor okay. of the Mayflower oh, building. Howie. I know, he's so cute. The ball will roll by itself, and guests claim that if they touch the Fisher-Price airplane, they'll, they'll feel like their shirt tugged. Or like, <laughs> he's like, Howie oh. doesn't really like to share. Aw. 
and guides and guests on the second floor of the Mayflower will hear a disembodied child's voice calling for mommy, which oh, is God. heartbreaking because his mommy was definitely not there. I'm glad we didn't hear that. I know. My heart would have broken. There's another little boy, and he's usually spotted as an apparition wearing a striped shirt. Okay. Workers actually found this shirt in a closet with a name written on the tag. Oh. And this name is also found on the outside of one of the cells on the second floor. Of wow, okay. I wasn't able to find what the name is, but I do know it was like kind of confirmed that this little boy was a patient at Pennhurst. Interesting. Wow. There's also a little girl, which the ghost hunters on Ghost Adventures, you know the show, claim to have found out that her name is Mary. Okay. Oh, all these poor kids. I know. She likes to pull on people's hair and mess with girls with long brown hair. <gasps> MK. I know. I was when I read that I was like, whoo. That would have been funny. Um, she likes to tap tall men on the shoulder. Ray could have gotten tapped. Well, tip tap. Um, she said to have long black hair and a blue white dress, and Aww. like the local legend is that she died during a sterilization. Wrong. <gasps> oh my god. Which is like but she was a little girl. Yes. Okay, that's horrible. Yeah. Aww. Um, see, like, this is what we need. Like, none of these haunts, besides the that first sexist guy, like, Skippy. Yeah. Like, all these haunts are, like, they're sad. Like, they're not even spooky. They're just sad. They're just sad. sad. Well, they're about to get a little bit spooky, okay. actually. So, Mayflower is especially known for its shadow people. And the most common place to see them is in the bathroom. Okay. Specifically the shower. Oh, and yeah. we were we were looking around those showers. Yeah. Also, they're also common in the art room and the common room in the Mayflower. And there's one particular shadow man that people have claimed to know that his name is Fisher. Okay. That likes to inhabit one of the chairs in the common room. There's a quarter on one of the tables in there that spins by itself. Oh. And he's known to either run or drag himself down the hallway. Oh wow. Which is horrifying. Yeah. And he, the idea of someone, like, dragging themselves. I know. I wonder why. And he's apparently not nice. Okay. And, like, people have caught him on, on camera, and he has, like, these really sunken in, they say, like, evil-looking eyes. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then probably perhaps the most famous is that of a nurse. She's been seen in her, like, old-timey nurse scrubs. Okay. And she is said to, like, chastise people, like, kind of roughhouse so she was not one of the nice not one of the nice nurses and people say that they are able to feel like the sensation of being stabbed with a needle in their neck well and in their shoulders how they sedated people yes wow which is like scary so scary and actually i know i said this before but there is one more famous resident of penhurst yeah that is said to still remain on the grounds so this was a doctor that was featured in Bill Baldini's feature presentation. Stuff he's featured, little in, featured in a lot. Yeah. And he's like, what's crazy about it is that he is not like ashamed at all. And he willingly shares with the investigative reporters the abuses that Penhurst residents have suffered at his hands. His name is Dr. Fear. That's literally his name. That is literally not a nickname. That is literally his given name. And he used to, like, almost experiment on the patients. 
There was one boy there who was getting a little too rowdy for Dr. Fear's liking, and Dr. Fear talked to some other medical professionals and was like, what is the most painful injection that I can give him without causing like physical damage? And would use that injection as punishment. This guy was definitely was a sadist who just was somehow able to use his like disgusting it's like it's just a disgusting display of power he's horrible yeah and if you watch the videos of him like he is just evil i mean and he's like proud of himself it's it is so disgusting the display of the lack of humanity that some of these people have yes i don't even understand how you're sitting here looking at these children these little defenseless children and you're like, what is the most pain that I can cause them? I know. What is wrong with them? I know. Them? Oh my god. Atrocious. So I would not want to run into him during no. their tour. That would have yeah, scared me. Yeah, me either. Evil. But I mean, <sighs> Penhurst is just—it's—it's it's actually a little bit hard to talk about, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's—it's. It's, it makes you cringe. Like, oh, it's just—it's horrible. It makes me like embarrassed to, to be, be a human. human. I was just thinking the same thing. It's in knowing that this happened. Yeah. It's like, how how could parents have let this happen? That uh, a lot of places called it the shame of Pennsylvania. I was right? just yeah. about to say now we know yeah. why it's called the shame of Pennsylvania, but I think that pretty much wraps up like the true history and some of like the documented hauntings at Pennhurst. Next episode, we're going to tell you about our personal experience there, and there is a lot to go through. There is. Some crazy stories. Yeah. I mean, like, it was really? Way more than I thought would happen. It was I, really cool. I went in there with, like, I would say medium expectations. Like, yeah. I was really hopeful that we would run into a couple of things. But you weren't expecting By it. the end of the night, I was like, please, dear God. I was like, I let me get out of here. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, wow. It, I don't even know how to describe it. This, and I'm just going to close on, like, a little funny note. Yeah. When... Someone like a a visitor at Penhurst asked Tamara Lawrence in her she talks about this in her book why she works there because they had just like encountered the shadow man yeah. and she was like I'm giving my guardian angel a workout and that's literally how it yeah. felt it was like I know we we're always like don't touch Ouija boards don't test fate and then we were like walking into these rooms I was like can we be doing this is there is there anyone wants to talk to us yeah. here oh my god like going against every piece of advice we've ever given ever yes but i'm really excited for that i think everyone's so, gonna enjoy that keep an eye out it'll be out shortly but until then thanks for listening you guys and we'll see you next time goodbye bye